This morning we are concluding our sermon series called What is the Church? Which just sounds funny to say because after the Gospel of Luke, we spent nine months going through it and kept going and going and here after six weeks we're wrapping up this sermon series already, but here we are. So looking at the, uh, the last metaphor um, that we'll be talking about, which the New Testament uses to describe the church. And so today's uh, metaphor is that of a body. The church is a body. And uh, uh, the major passage where this metaphor is, is developed is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul doesn't just say that the church is a body. He doesn't just reference it and then move on, but, but really goes on to develop that analogy, analogy in pretty uh, vivid ways. Um, but before we jump into uh, the passage there and really get into that topic, I wanted to begin by telling you a story from uh, ancient Rome, uh, something that took place about 550 years before Paul uh, wrote 1 Corinthians. And so there's, a, there's a, his, a Roman historian named Livy who wrote about an event that took place in 500, around 500 B.C., in Rome at that time, the, uh, the lower class of people, known as the plebeians, were on the verge of revolting against the upper class uh, of the Roman society. They, they were the ruling class known as the patricians. And so the, the plebeians were, uh, they were upset over how they were being treated, how they were being used by the patricians. And so they actually protested by leaving the city of Rome they went about three miles outside of Rome and encamped on a hill there. Kind of an early form of going on strike, I guess, if we can picture it that way. Um, so in response, the, the patricians, the, that upper ruling class, they sent a man named Menenius Agrippa to go speak with them. And Menenius went out to them and he sought to calm the uproar by telling them a story. And, and so this is the story he told. He said that there was, there was a man and had a body. And, and this man's body, what happened was all the members of this man's body rebelled against the stomach. They were upset with the stomach because the members of the body worked hard, bore the brunt of the labor, while the stomach did nothing but receive the food that was given to it. And so in order to punish the stomach... The rest of the body decided not to, not to uh, give food to the, to the stomach. So uh, the hands were not going to bring food to the mouth. The mouth was not going to open to receive the food. The teeth were not going to chew the food. And so that's what they did. And as a result, the stomach was indeed deprived of food. And the entire body began to waste away and was on the verge of exhaustion. And it was at this point that the members of the body, uh, as Menonias would say, came to their senses and realized that the food which was given to the stomach returned to the rest of the body in the form of nourishment. And so an agreement was struck between the body and the stomach, and the, bo the entire body returned to health and strength once again. And so Menonias then, after telling that story, 
made the connection between the plebeians and the patricians. And he said it was the role of the lower class plebeians to satisfy the appetites of the patricians, who in turn would meet the needs of the plebeians. And as a result of the story, the, result, the, the revolt was averted. The plebeians returned to the city, and they served the upper class patricians once again. It's kind of an interesting story from Roman history. Um, now, the reason I tell you this story is, is because in my, in my preparation for today's sermon, I was struggling with how I would sound preaching today's passage. Because, see, history, uh, historians, and, and even Shakespeare, who wrote about this event in a play, they don't look upon Menenius as some grand diplomat from history. He's, he's usually seen as a deceiver and a manipulator who only sought to keep the status quo the same for the upper-class patricians. And he was going to say whatever he needed to in order to bring it back to the status quo. He didn't care about the plebeians, right? He just wanted the status quo to stay the same. He only cared about himself and uh, the others in the upper class like him. And my fear this morning is that I would come across as a pastor concerned only with how his church affects him. And my, my fear is that I'll come across as a pastor trying to manipulate people to do what he wants them to do for his own gain. And I want you to know that is, my, that is not my desire. My desire is not to be like Menenius in that story. I may say some challenging things this morning, but, but I say them to myself as much as to anyone else. I, uh, in studying uh, today's passage, I've been challenged myself regarding how I've served in the church in the past and how I do so currently uh, uh, right now. So, so my prayer for this morning has been that, that my intentions would align with those of Jesus and with uh, those spoken of by Paul, and that, that we together would be deeply challenged by what I would say is a powerful usage of such a simple metaphor as we're going to see in 1 Corinthians. So, so I, that's a long introduction, but, uh, but let's dive right in. Before we get to 1 Corinthians 12, I want to begin with a short passage from Ephesians 4. And the reason I want to start there is, is, is because before we talk about ourselves as members of the body of Christ, we need to firmly establish that whatever we are within that body, we are not the head of the body. We have to start there. So, so if you would, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to start reading for us in verse 11, where Paul says this. He says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
Now, there's so much that, that, that we can and, and, and will talk about today regarding all of us being a part of the body of Christ. But right off the bat, we have to note that it is Jesus himself who is the head of this spiritual body. And, and we know from, from a simple understanding of our physical bodies that it is the head which gives direction and instruction to the rest of the body. Um, uh, we'll never find our pinky finger for, finger, for example, giving instructions to our head. Right? It doesn't work that way. And our pinky finger is an important part of the body. And the head cares about the well-being of the pinky, but the pinky does not direct the head. It, it doesn't. That's not how our bodies work. And when we think about uh, the spiritual body, if you had to guess, are we the head or the pinky? Those were the two options. We're not the head. Jesus is the head. If anything, we're the pinky finger. And again, our head cares for us as the pinky. You know, our head wants us to thrive, but Jesus does not take orders from us. It's, it's not how it works with his body. However, it is the expectation that the members of the body will, will grow to be more and more like the head. We see that here in, in Ephesians 4. Um, uh, the New Living Translation puts it a little differently. It says we will be growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head. That's, 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 uh, that is the expectation for the members of the body. And, and it's not that one day we will become a head ourselves and receive rule and authority that comes with being a head. That, that, that's not what it's about. It's, it's about our passions and it's about our desires being in step with the head. You know, so, so that we, we long for and we move toward the things that the head desires. That's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 4. And I think, he, I think he lists some of these passions and desires of the head for the body. So in verse 12 in Ephesians 4, he says that the, one of the passions is the building up of the body. In verse 13, it's, it's attaining to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, which is a maturity measured by the fullness of Christ himself. Uh, verse, verse 14, no, being no longer tossed back and forth by false doctrines, human cunning, deceitful schemes. Um, and maybe a good summary in verse 16, a growing body which builds itself up in love. Those are the passions and desires of the head for the body. And there's a lot listed there. But again, I, I think it can all be summarized by being a body which follows the head exclusively and is built up by way of its love for each of the other members. It's what the head desires for the body. Jesus calls us to be more like him by walking in his ways, by loving one another. And, and he has set up his church, and he directs his church, and he empowers his church to walk in his ways and to love one another. He has done that. that, that that's, that's what it's all about for us as members of the body and having a head over us as members of the body. So uh, there's times where we, where we can try to make the church be about something else other than those things, right? I mean, uh, uh, but when we do that, we're, we're really attempting to set ourselves up as a rival head of the body. We're, we're attempting to give instruction to the head and say, well, the body really should be about this. So we can try to make the church 
be about popularity or, or comfort or political power or, or personal preference, but, but those things are not the, the, the desires and the purpose of our head. Uh, Jesus, as our head, sets our purpose and our agenda, and, and we see some of that mentioned here in Ephesians 4. So we are not the head. Paul makes that quite clear in his letter to the church in Ephesus. We are, however, members of the body of which Jesus is the head. And while we're not the head, we're still an important and, and a needed part of the body. So I would encourage you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, because Paul addresses this in depth in this letter. Now, just a, a little bit of context. When, when you look at the entirety of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, all three of those chapters, the context for Paul's words was a local church in which the pursuit and, and the usage of spiritual gifts were being abused. That's the context for what Paul says in, in that section. That there, there were certain spiritual gifts namely speaking in tongues, that were being treated as though they were superior to the other spiritual gifts. And, and so those who had that gift saw themselves as above those who didn't have it. And consequently, those who didn't have the gift also saw themselves as below those who did have it. And so Paul wrote the words that we'll look at today to emphatically say that is not to be the case. That is not how it should be in the body of Christ. And so, um, so what I'll do is uh, I'll just read all the way through this passage in chapter 12, and then we'll come back and kind of look at it in smaller chunks. But this is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 12. <clears throat> For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. One member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church, 
first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So, back at the beginning of that passage, the first thing that Paul states, verses 12 and 13, is that there is a unified body of which we are all members. He starts there. He doesn't say anything about, about value or purpose or anything at this point, but just states that in Christ we are all members of this one body. So it doesn't matter what kind of differences we might see within each member, all are members. Uh, and Paul gives a couple examples. He states Jews and Greeks, and then he states slave, uh, slaves and free to make his point. But we could include any number of other ways in which people are often classified, that all are members in Christ of this body. And we've talked already in, in this sermon series previously about, about how the church is not meant to be a group of people completely identical to one another. Um, and, and it's going to be reinforced today as we go through this passage. Uh, the body of Christ is composed of varied people who are all baptized into the one body and given the one Holy Spirit. It's what unites us together. And, and that's true on a global scale. That's true of the worldwide church, but it's true of the local church as well. So we ought to uh, we ought not to be a church of people who are exactly the same. Uh, we ought to be a church that is as varied and unique as the context in which we live. And, and within the church, within the body of Christ, that varied and unique group is directed by the head to be built up in love for one another, as, as we saw earlier in Ephesians 4. And so if, if, if that's going to happen, if the body is going to be built up in love, then, then well, this is what Paul goes, in, goes on to talk about, uh, continuing on in chapter 12, right? how those varied and unique members of the body should treat one another. So we look at uh, verses 14 through 19, and we see that this means that there's not a single member of the body that's less important than others. There's not. The, the body would be, would be uh, incomplete if any part of it were, were to leave or if it felt inferior because it wasn't some other part of the body. And Paul points out the hilarity of that picture when referencing a physical body, doesn't he? I mean, can you imagine a body that was nothing but eyes? If you can even call that a body, but I, for the sake of the, the analogy, we will. But, I mean... Uh, it's crazy to think about that. It would see everything, but it would hear nothing, right? Uh, it, would, it would, you know, think about an apple pie. You could, it would see an apple pie baking in the oven, but it wouldn't have the mouth to taste it, wouldn't have the stomach to make use of it, wouldn't even have the feet and the legs to walk over to it. I mean, it would, it would be a very useless body, a physical body of nothing, but a, uh, of nothing but eyes is useless. When we think about spiritual gifts, and we, you know, if we're tempted to think that other spiritual gifts are above our own, 
a church body of nothing but they's and them's is useless as well. The, the church body needs the you's and the me's, right? If, it's needed to be a complete, healthy, functioning body, just like more than an eye is, is needed for a physical body. And so, so when, when, we, when, we, uh, when we read this in the context of spiritual gifts, we recognize that while some gifts might be more visible than others, doesn't make their importance greater than others. Visibility does not equal importance. Uh, that, that's, that's something we have to keep in mind when it comes to spiritual gifts. Some gifts might draw more public attention, but, but those gifts are incomplete without the function of the rest of the body. So no matter how God has gifted you and I, we are an indispensable benefit to this church body. And I think one of, one of the ways that, that spiritual gifts can sometimes be misunderstood is, is regarding their communal benefit. Um, uh, we didn't read the very beginning of, of uh, 1 Corinthians 12, but, but Paul says in verse 7 that the gifts are given for the common good. That's the purpose of giving these spiritual gifts. It's for the common good of the body. So that means that God hasn't given me a spiritual gift so that I can feel closer to him, so that I can feel important, but so that I can benefit the church body. Now, I believe that when we utilize our gifts, we, we will grow in our personal relationship with God. I, I believe we will grow in our faith in him, but those are the byproducts of the intended purpose of serving the church body. So, so if I desire a certain spiritual gift because I, I think it has more value or more honor. I mean, there's pride in that, right? There's, there's a selfishness in that, and, and I'm failing to recognize that my gifts are not given to me for me. They're given for the body, for the good of the body. And, and in the same vein, if I'm not utilizing my gifts because I'm too busy or I'm too ashamed or, or whatever reason, that, that's not a decision that has a, a negligible impact. Uh, I'm, I'm harming the body because uh, God has composed the body according to his desire. But if I'm not utilizing my gifts, then I'm not fulfilling my role within the body that God has given me to, to fulfill. And I, I, think a, I think a major issue for us today, uh, and when I say us, I, I, I mean the, the American church with with which I'm most familiar, but I think a, a major issue is that our identity can become wrapped up in so many secondary things. Um, secondary things like, um, like occupation or, or marital status or hobbies or talents or, or even family ties. Those, those things can, can become our primary identity. And at the same time, when that happens, uh, our real primary identity, being saved by Jesus and baptized into his body, that becomes secondary. And we can get those things backwards. And when that happens, the body of Christ and the, the utilizing of our spiritual gifts for the benefit of that body becomes something that has to fit in behind all of those other identities that we've made primary. And, and it should be the other way around, that our primary identity as being saved by Christ and baptized into his body 
and the utilizing of, the, of our spiritual gifts for the body, those should be the things that are center and other things fit around that. Because as Paul says, God has arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose in order that the body might grow through building itself up in love. So there's, there's no member that can say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm less a part of the body than someone else because of who I am, because of my gifts. And the flip side of that, as Paul goes on, is that there's no member that can say, well, I don't need those other members because of my gifts and because of who I am. I, I don't need those others. So in verses 20 through 26, Paul, Paul talked about how those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are, in fact, indispensable. And again, using the picture of a physical body, it's those very parts on the human body that we treat with greater honor and, and greater modesty. Um, my, my liver may not receive the notoriety of my hands, but it doesn't mean my liver's function is any less important than, than my hands. All right, and I, I, think, I think the tendency for, uh, for myself and, and, and maybe for others of us can be to view our own spiritual gifts as more essential for the church body than others. Right? We wouldn't say that other gifts aren't essential. Right? We know that. But, but maybe my gifts are because they're my gifts or you know, just a little bit above others. I mean, I, I, we can fall into thinking that way. Um, and man, any... Any pride that we feel when comparing our own gifts with, with others is, is wrong. It, it's just wrong. And, and as we look at verses, uh, verse 25, I think Paul leads us to view our own gifts properly. Because if we allow pride to take root, then what we find is increased division and decreased care and compassion for one another. When pride takes root, there's more division and there's less care and concern. And moving on to verse 26, pride leads me to rejoice when others suffer and suffer when others rejoice. I mean, we've done that before, right? We've, we've had those moments where there's just a part of us that maybe rejoices a little bit when somebody suffers or we, man, they, they had something good happen to them and I am suffering a little bit. And Paul says, the body of Christ is not to be that way. When one member suffers, we ought to suffer, not rejoice. When one member is honored, we don't suffer, we rejoice in that. Um, and I think that comes as we rightly view both our own spiritual gifts and those of the other members of the body. When we see both as vital both as necessary, both as put in its proper place by God. Um, our church body would not be any better if everyone were like me, right? I know that's not anything. That's a, you knew that already, but if the entire church body were like me or, were like, or, or was like you, the church would not be better off, even though I might be tempted to think that way sometimes. It's just not true. God has composed the body as he desires it so that there's no division, but instead a mutual care for one another. So, so there's no members that are diminished below others. There's no members that are exalted above others. Paul says all the members are for the good of the body. 
And, and he went on in, in uh, verses 27 through 31 at the end of the chapter to kind of, he listed some certain spiritual gifts in order to tie everything together that he's been saying. So God, in his wisdom and in his position as the head, has given some gifts as an apostle or a prophet or a teacher or miracle worker or healer, helper, administrator, speaker of tongues. Um, And it's widely agreed that Paul isn't making an exhaustive list here. He's listing some of the spiritual gifts, not all of them. He's listing some in order to make a point saying that not everyone's an apostle or prophet or administrator, speaker of tongues. God has appointed each person with the gifts he desires him or her to have for the benefit of the church. And as the head, he is allowed to do that. That is his prerogative. And then in verse, uh, verse 31, Paul urges the church in Corinth to desire the, the higher gifts the greater gifts. Um, another, another Bible translation said, desire the most helpful gifts. I think that's a good way to phrase it there. The, the gifts that would be the most helpful for the building up of the church body. Those are the things that we ought to desire. And, and Paul went on in chapter 14, verse 12, he says, uh, you should be eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, striving to excel in building up the church. So he references it uh, again in chapter 14. The gifts given to us, the gifts we desire to have, ought to be for the good of the church body. That, that's, that's the primary focus. Now, in an individualized culture such as ours, we can either consciously or, or, or subconsciously come to understand that our faith is really about Jesus and me. Right? I mean, we, we, can, we can be taught that at times. Um, independence, self-sufficiency are, are promoted highly in our society. And we can get to the point where we say, what, what Jesus really wants for me is to be the best version of myself that I can be. And that is something pretty foreign to the Bible. I'm not saying that God doesn't work within us as individuals. He does. We're new creations. He's transforming us. He's sanctifying us. But when it becomes all about me being the best version of me that I can be, we've missed what what the Bible is telling us. Uh, We're not created to be alone. You can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, and we see it's not just about us. When God said that it wasn't good for man to be alone, that's not just a marriage statement. It has implications in marriage, obviously, but, but that's a faith statement, that it's not good for man for mankind, for men and women, to be alone. So Jesus' purpose for his body is that the members would be united together and love one another. And and he's gifted the members of his body so that that purpose can be fulfilled. That's the point of the spiritual gifts, to fulfill that purpose, being united, loving one another. And so I wanted to to end just by thinking about some implications of of uh, all of this. And, and it's, it's this reason I started with that story about uh, uh, Menonias. Um, again, my, my desire is not to manipulate you into serving a certain way or to make it so that nobody can ever leave our church. Uh, my desire is for this local church body of Christ to fulfill its purpose. That's the goal. That, that's my desire. And, and I know that's only going to happen as each member strives to build up the body. I mean, that, that's what, that's what uh, Paul is writing here in both Corinthians and Ephesians.
So it means that we have to be actively utilizing the gifts, those spiritual gifts that God has given to us. Um, and, and three times, again, I mean, you've heard me saying it, but three times in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says things like, God has arranged the members, or God has so composed the body, or God has appointed members with gifts. I mean, God has you and me here for a reason, and that reason is to build up the church body. So it doesn't matter whether we're on the younger end or the older end of the age spectrum. It doesn't matter our, our talents or our personality or anything else that we think might diminish or exalt our standing in the church. Uh, it doesn't matter. God has all of us. We're all members of this body. He has us all here for a reason. And so I think a couple good questions to ask. Uh, I think uh, the first good question to ask would be, if I were to disappear from this church, not would anybody notice, that's not the question. If I were to disappear from this church, how much would the body suffer in my absence? If I were to disappear, how much would the body suffer? So I think the answer to that question lies in direct proportion to the usage of our spiritual gifts. If I could just disappear, if I could just stop participating in the church body and things got along pretty much like usual, then am I really utilizing the spiritual gifts that I've been given to, to build up the body through the, the Spirit working through me? I think that's one, one good question we can ask ourselves. And, and the second one is, is uh, similar to it. Um, if, I'm, if I'm using my gifts to build up the body, what would it take to get me to stop or to decrease using my spiritual gifts? What would it take? Um, would, a, would a promotion at work take precedence over the, the usage of my spiritual gifts? Uh, would, uh, would someone at church who made me upset cause me to pull back? Would a, would a ball game on Sunday morning push my gifts to the side? Would... Would, would my own unmet preferences cause me to withdraw inwardly? Um, uh, being part of a church body is not a, it's not a part-time thing based on our whims. Um, it's a way of life marked by sacrificial love for the purpose of building up the body. And right smack in the middle of this entire conversation, um, in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is chapter 13. And chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians is the what chapter? The love chapter, right? And uh, I, I know that's typically associated with weddings. And again, rightly so, should be associated with weddings. But, but those, those powerful Holy Spirit-inspired words from Paul's pen were not written in thinking about a wedding, they were written in the midst of a discussion about the church body and spiritual gifts. And, and so, again, as much as those words should describe our marriage relationships, they perhaps even more ought to describe the relationships within the church body. Our church body that Jesus, our head, intends to be built up in love. And so I just wanted to read the most famous part of that uh, chapter with, with that uh, in mind. So hear this, not, you know, there's not a wedding going on right now, but hear this as we've been having this discussion 
about the body of Christ. Paul says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Words that we've probably heard lots of times, but isn't it interesting to hear them with that different perspective, um, context that, that Paul had written them. Um, I, hope you, I hope you hear my, my heart this morning. I, I love our church and I'm so blessed to be a part of it. And, and my deepest desire is that we would excel in building up one another in Christ's love. Um, God has... God has gifted our body with everything that we need for that to happen. That's, an, that's a crazy thought, isn't it? The purposes that God has for us, he has gifted us with exactly what we need for that to happen. But it won't come to fruition if we don't follow the leading of our head and participate with him as spiritually gifted members of the body. He's equipped us. We've got what we need, but it's up to us to live those out and follow the head as he directs us as a church body. That's a good challenge in there for every one of us, isn't it? And again, preaching to myself, there's a great challenge, great challenge in there. So would you stand with me? Let's, let's come before God as a body of Christ and, and thank him for what he's given to us and pray that he might might uh, grow us, continually grow us as we live that out. Father, I, I thank you that, uh, well, we probably have to start and say thank you that you are the head of this body. Uh, there's none of us here that is equipped to be the head, and so we're thankful that it is you and that it is not us. And we thank you that along with that, that you've got a purpose for us. You've got a vision for us. You have that for your, for your body as a whole, for the worldwide church, but, but we know that's true for this local body as well. And so I thank you for the gifts that you've given to each one of us. God, I look out and I see spiritually gifted people. And I'm so thankful for that. God, would you, uh, would you uh, guide us in the utilization of those gifts? Would you guide the discussions that, uh, that we can have to, to prompt one another in that? Can you challenge us uh, when we need to be challenged? God, if there's times where, where we're being a bit selfish with how we utilize our gifts or whether we utilize our gifts, God, we, we want to be a church that is uh, a body that is built up in love. We, we know that's your desire for us. And we want that too, God. And so we thank you that you've given us what we need. Would you continue to work in us and through us? God, I give you, I give you praise for this church. Uh, I give you praise for the, the benefit that it's been to me personally. I've seen spiritual gifts used in ways that has been to my benefit. And, and, and I, uh, I'm humble as I think about that, God. And I pray that that would just be the continual hallmark of this body here. And as we come before you now and uh, uh, once again sing together, God, may we, 
be united in you through your spirit. May, be, may we be united in love as we interact with one another in your name. We do pray these things in your name. Amen.